Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. Um, we've been working through two and a half years or so now. Uh, we've covered the Gospels. We did Matthew. We did Mark. We did John. We did Luke. And then we did Acts, so we could do Luke and Acts together. And then springing out of Acts, we decided that we would cover the New Testament um, kind of in the order we believe it was written, particularly the letters that Paul wrote. And so um, we just finished Second Thessalonians. We did First and Second Thessalonians. The next book up in order, we believe, is First Corinthians, and uh, and then I think it's Galatians, and then Second Corinthians is where we're headed. But First Corinthians is fairly lengthy, so it'll take us it'll take us a while. I think it takes us till close to the end of the year anyway. Um, now. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the, this is uh, somewhere around the end, we believe, of Paul's second missionary journey while he's in Ephesus. Remember, he spent a long time in Ephesus. He'd been in Corinth just before he went to Ephesus, and he'd been there for long enough to get a church started. And um, uh, it, was a, it, it had some neat stuff in the church. It was, it was a, a blessed church in a lot of ways, but they also had a lot of problems. And... Um, while he's in Ephesus, apparently people from Chloe's household show up and they tell Paul some of the problems that are going on. That the, they, Their exact words is there's quarrels all over the church. There's division in the church. And then a delegation shows up um, asking for specific instruction on what they're supposed to do. And, and Paul has to address this. Now, the, the Corinthian church, um, Corinth in and of itself was a very... Um, uh, uh, it was a completely pagan society, let's put it that way, in their time. And um, it created a difficulty for everybody, that, uh, for, particularly for the believers that, that lived there. It, was, it had very lax morals, very scandalous in their lifestyle, uh, as were a lot of those sort of places that Paul had been to. And uh, even though in the, the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church, I always think of the Corinthian leather, I don't know why, it's in my brain, but, and Ricardo Montemont, the fine Corinthian leather. I am Ricardo Montalban. And I can't edit that out either, so that's going to be in there. Anyway, um, e even though the Corinthian church, when we look at it, was, was richly glift, gifted by the Spirit, um, they weren't maturing in the way that they should have. And part of the problem, it appears, is that they had mistaken their spiritual giftedness which, was, which had come from the Holy Spirit, which had come from God, as somehow validating their sinfulness. And Paul has to address that among other issues. The big issues that are covered in the First Corinthians, in the letter to the First Corinthians, uh, are division in the church, he's going to get into that one first, discipline, marriage and divorce, doctrinal disputes, and the misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. Fortunately, we no longer have to deal with any of those issues in the church today. Then I have in parentheses extreme sarcasm in my notes. <laughs> I do. It's right there. In case you missed it. Um, the, the First Corinthians is one of those valuable letters because it applies to, like, like it all does, but it specifically applies to problems. It's like he just wrote it to the church today. And, and most of the letters are like that, but it's good to know in context and who he was writing them to and why he was writing them and what the questions were that he was trying to deal with. And, and, uh, and so the first one is about people uh, that are they're arguing about who they follow. Um, and it's caused these divisions. Some say they follow Paul and some Apollos and some Peter or Cephas and some Christ. And Paul has to address that because uh, that's not 
the way that he had left them. But things have happened, and so he's going to deal with that. So let's hop into the letter together. First Corinthians chapter 1, 31 verses in this first chapter, so we'll cover them all tonight. Here we go. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no division among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. And this, is, this is kind of funny, this part. And, and uh, so I'm not surprised that we got a phone call. Um, yeah, Paul wanted to make sure that, that, that we make this point. Um, and so I want to get it while I'm reading it. See, the, the, what's happened with the Corinthians is they've, they've gotten a little full of themselves. And, and so Paul... When he's writing these things, you need to know that it's a big deal, and Paul's getting it. But Paul is trying to set them straight right here, because this is what he says. Um, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He just put them all in their place. You guys were just a bunch of average Joes. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, so, as I said, we, we've got a, a serious problems in this new church in Corinth that, um, that need to be dealt with. And, um, you know, Paul's in Ephesus and you know, he doesn't feel like he's supposed to go at this moment in time to go and deal with them, so he's going he's to deal with them as he did a lot of things uh, for this point on in his ministry, uh, end of the second missionary journey throughout the next one, and, and until his death by answering the questions and writing letters, which is really good for us. Because if he'd just gone and talked to them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have these things. And we need them today. And I, I love how he kind of... See, you know, if anytime we begin to get puffed up and arrogant, and, and start to think that we're really something, um, all you got to do is look at some of that stuff. Who do you think, I mean, it's a kind way of saying, <laughs> do you remember where you came from? Uh, and, and, you know, what you're really like? Uh, you know, it's, it's all because of God that we can get to a place of um, understanding our worth and value, but that should never make us arrogant in the process. It should be, that only works in humility. It's, it's out of humility that we understand our value and worth. And, and it shouldn't do anything other than that, that, that um, we have value and worth because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Okay, so Paul starts his letter off, first few verses there. Most of the letters of Paul, you know, they identify who's writing and who he's writing to, and he passes, you know, grace and peace along. But he also, a little subtle reminder in verse 2, when he calls it the church of God, in Corinth. He's making a point. It's not the church of the Corinthian people. It's the church of God in Corinth. If they would have kind of got a hold of that, it would have solved some of the problems of division pretty quickly. Because they're, see, they're having these similar struggles, um, not that unlike what we saw with the disciples. You know, power plays. Who's going who's gonna to be who and who's what and who's calling the shots? All that stuff is going on. So uh, in verses 4 through 9, then um, I think, you know, we talk all the time about being thankful and how important that is. And, and I believe it's very important. That's why we have the Encourage to website. And we've got some new people coming to it. I thank you guys that are making an effort to get there. I think everybody ought to go every day. A lot of people come and read and don't give us their thankful five, which is great. But um, my prayer is you keep doing it. This, understand now, Paul is in Ephesus and he's, he's working hard in Ephesus. He's got a, he's got a, thing going on there. It's busy. And here come the people from Corinth, and all they present to Paul is problems. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but all of a sudden, you know, you've got a lot going on, and then someone just gives you a, a lap full of problems. Here, oh, then here's this too. And these are pretty significant problems uh, in, that are threatening the church that he worked, you know, so hard on and that the Lord's done. But um, Paul, and we get to see here, Paul is thankful. He begins to thank God um, for all the things that are happening um, in, in there, all the good stuff that's going on. And you'll see him list all, all the good things that he can think of. 
And see, what happens is Paul is able to see and he knows that God is able to work in every situation and that God's able to use even the mess to his glory and it's from that perspective that he can remain thankful. Now look, just from that, in our own lives, what, what we have to understand um, is, see, if we're stuck in the trap that we believe that every time that we've got a problem or some difficult circumstances, that it can only be handled by our own resources and our own strength, it would be very difficult for you to find things to be thankful for because you'll be over, overwhelmed, consumed by the circumstance. But, see, God is God. That doesn't change. And because He's God, we can trust Him with our day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives. And so Paul is able to be thankful for all that God has done in the Corinthians, fully expecting him to continue to do that because he's faithful. And that he ultimately knows that God's going to handle it. God's going to take care of it. One way or another, God's got it. And it's not just on Paul. Now, Paul, as the sort of, you know, de facto leader of that church, the one who started it, is going to have to speak back into it. But he doesn't have to carry the weight of it. He's just got to do what he can do. And, and then trust that God will do the rest. And so because of that, he's able to, instead of carrying this thing around, he just says, well, God's got it, and, and these are the things that you need to straighten out. And it's, uh, it, it takes on a whole different sort of picture at that moment. And I, I just think the application in our own lives is that um, it's important to be thankful because it changes our perspective. And if you don't have a, a discipline of being thankful, of stopping and thinking about things you're thankful for, you will spend time thinking about what's not right. And that will become your focus. And it, it's just how it works. Um, and and it's, there's no life there. If you're consumed by what's not okay, there's no life there. And so you, you have to find that perspective. And, and the, you know, the way I believe that we find it is by being thankful for what we've what we've got, what we have, getting that changed. And then, you know, and if he's been, and I can trust him in these things, I can trust him in everything. He's God. And that helps us along in the process. So with all that being said, then God, uh, Paul begins to deal with the divisions in the church in Corinth. And uh, verses 10 through 17, the people, um, some people from Chloe's household have shown up, and they, they've, they've told Paul that there are quarrels, is the word, among them, about who they followed. And, and uh, some were following Paul. Remember, Apollos had, had just come through there, and Paul had sent him over there to go and help that church. Some, okay, we're going to follow that guy. Um, some were, were hooked back to, to Peter um, in some way, some Christ. And what Paul says is, listen, and, and I like when you read the beginning of that letter, how often Paul says, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, kept up coming over and over and over again. He's pointing them back to the, the one that they're, that they're following. And he says things like, was Paul crucified for you? You know, it just didn't happen. Um, these are the things that he has to know. It's, it's about Christ. And he says Christ is not divided. Now, what Paul is appealing to, though, is a harmony um, among believers, not the elimination of diversity. And there's a difference. And it still needs to be, we need to understand that in the church today. Um, as we look through 1 Corinthians, and you'll see, Paul talks a lot about unity in the church. But the, the picture is like a, uh, like a quilt um, uh, of, of lots of different parts. That, that when it's put together, it makes a beautiful thing. But it's, you know, it's all sort of different things coming together in the process. It blends in harmony. And um, that unity is, is ultimately made possible in the message of the cross. 
and, and it's, it's, that's why it has to be central to everything that we continue to do today, and, and it was certainly central to what Paul did, and it needs, we need to be reminded of it. See, at the, it's at the cross where, where we all can get together in harmony and have unity. It's at the cross of Christ and the message of the cross. Um, because we're all going to have some differences, and that's not the issue. Um, we'll come at this thing a little differently sometimes, but, but not as it comes to Christ. And so he's, he's, he's drawing their minds back to that. And he's saying to them, and we're, as he moves on into 18 through 25, that they can't continue the Christian walk and their Christian lives um, based on their, their own sort of self-seeking, self-seeking self-preserving thought processes. Um, their, their minds have not yet been renewed, and they need to be renewed. And even though they're operating, apparently, in, in some awesome spiritual giftedness, they're not maturing, and their, their, their minds haven't changed or been renewed. And that's what we talk about all the time. Our minds have to be renewed. We have to see this thing the way that Jesus sees it. We have to, we have to be changed in our thinking. And if we're not changed in our thinking, then we, we don't look at it the way that we need to look at it. And, and so we have to get back to... The message of the cross and understanding there, or we'll look at everything from a very um, worldly viewpoint, because the the message of the cross cuts to the heart of self-centeredness. See, that's that's what has to change in us. That's the biggie, because it's in all of us. It's where sin comes from. It's where all those things come from. We tend to look at life from a very self-centered viewpoint, where the universe revolves around us. And it doesn't. And, and until we begin to view it differently, we can't see things the way that we need to see them. We talk about this every week, week after week after week after week, that this is what needs to take place in our lives. It's the, it's the renewing of our minds that has to happen in order to be able to, to move into the naturally supernatural life that he's called us to. See, it's not about me or what I can do or what gifts God has given me or, or anything like that. It's about him. It's about what he can do, and it's about how he can empower me to use me for his purposes. And that's a completely different deal. See, because at that point, the, the striving gets taken out of it. So, you know, if, when we realize that, God can, that God's got things that, need, that he wants to have done, but he just wants his servants to do whatever it takes, then we don't, there's no bigger thing than any other thing. They all count. They all matter. They all, they're all important. Um, and, and we have to grab a hold of that concept. We're moving in unity towards a goal. We're, we move together as the body of Christ to accomplish the mission he's given us, and, and we'll all have different roles and, and ministries and, and gifts in that process, but they all count. They all count. And, and, and when we get that, then we should get away from what we've seen in the disciples and now in the church, this, this striving about who's the greatest and who's doing what and who's the, got the most gifts and who's the, and this just can't be how we measure anything. So it's, not, it's not what matters. A lot of people get led astray looking to leaders who are very spiritually gifted and they get, they get out of focus because they can see the giftedness in them and they don't realize that, that God has a way of giving gifts, and that's just because he gives them. He gave them to these people, and they were a mess. Um, but if you've got to look at anything, you should be looking at people's fruit. See, we're not supposed to judge people, but we're allowed to inspect fruit. And if the fruit in their lives is, is not right, 
You've got to be careful. It's not that you don't love them or care for them. You just go, whoa. And they might be the most gifted person you've ever met in the things of the Spirit. And it, you, you, know, you just got to go back and look at some of the guys that have taken really wrong steps. And lots of people are crushed because they, their eyes fixed on that guy because of his giftedness. And they really had not checked out the fruit of his life you know, behind the scenes and what it looked like. And so we, we have to be very careful. And, and, um, and this is the, the, you know, the message that we have to take in of the cross. See, the, the message of the cross is, is really one of, of self-renunciation, if you would. It's, it, it has the potential of, of leading, as it did in Jesus' case, to humiliation, humiliation and death. But, but it, it, it leads not to self-destruction, but to life, real life. See, that's the, that's the irony of the message of the cross. We're laying down everything like he did, and it looks like it's the pathway to death, but it's the pathway to life. That's what it was for Jesus. Um, no matter how you look at it, it looked like this thing was happening, but it was this thing that was happening instead. It's the message of the cross. And the, it seems foolish to the world. You know, it said there, the, the, the religious people of the day, they just wanted to see miraculous signs. And the, and the Greeks, the, the, the wise people of the day, they just, they just wanted knowledge. And, and, you know, it looked foolish to both of them. This whole idea of, of someone coming and dying and defeating death. We'd already seen that in Acts. Remember the guy saying, this is just craziness um, from his mindset. But to those who believe, see, it's not foolishness. Well, it's, it's, it makes sense that, that there's sin which we've all done, separated us from a perfect and holy God. Sin is never to be taken lightly. And, and even though we're a church that's you know, big on grace and mercy, it doesn't mean that we ever take sin lightly, ever. Sin has separated us from God because God is perfect and holy. But God loves us. See, you know, the, the thing is, culturally now, we can tell people that God loves them, and they're not even that, well, yeah, of course he loves me. And, and they, they don't, there's a disconnect that, that doesn't seem to resonate in them because what should resonate in them is there's no way that it's possible for, for the holiest of holy people to love me because I'm a sinner. I, I, there's, it can't be possible. And somehow we've, you get culturally, we've lost some of that. And, and so I, I never make light of it, but, but the, the reality of the cross is because of what Jesus did, I can be in relationship with a perfect and holy God. Because Jesus paid for my sin. And never get past that. It's, it's that kind of realization that should keep us from ever getting proud and arrogant. You know, we, we, our worth comes from Him. And, and only from Him. And He's loved us with this everlasting, amazing love that He paid dearly for the cross. And so it, it seems foolish to some, but, but to those who, who receive it, it's the message of life. To those of us that get it, that we couldn't get there in our own work, we would never be good enough because once we blew it, we, we, it was over. But Jesus came. God came, fully, fully God, fully man. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and then exchanged that perfect sinless life for ours at the cross. That in believing in him, we might have life. It's foolishness, but it's, it's the wisdom of the kingdom of God. Foolishness to the world. They still, a lot of people look at you like you. I have people all the time that when they find out what I do, think I'm crazy. Like they, they, I still, I have people that say things like, well, how can you even believe in that fairy tale? It's 2010, 11, whatever it is now. I don't even know what day it is. They just wind me up and bring me out here Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> 
But I know it's not foolishness. I know who I am apart from it, where I was. And I, I know where I'm headed by the grace of God. So, so that's the message of the cross um, for us. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 then. Um, and then, and this is, I, I kind of made a, a point at the end of it. Paul reminds the Corinthians that if things were based on human wisdom, human influence, and human position, that the people that are in and causing the problems in the Corinthian church would have been passed over. They weren't, they weren't qualified. In that, in that setting, they weren't the ones that would have been chosen by God. If that was the requirement, they wouldn't have been picked. Because God tends to pick average people. Or, you know, the people that no one else would pick. Because he picks us. And that's how it works. And so that realization should also impact us and keep us from, from boasting about ourselves. Our boasting should be in the Lord. What an awesome God we have who has gone to the cross for us, who's made a way for us to have life, who continually pours out on us grace and mercy, even though we, we seem to continually mess up. We have an awesome God. Our boasting is in Him in, in, in the process. And uh, that thought then helps us to stay selfless and less judgmental, uh, judgmental and critical, which is how we have an impact in the world. Okay, that's enough for today. Um, if you're watching my video, thank you for watching. God bless you. And if there's anything we do, call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can. We're going to close here with prayer, and uh, we'll be praying for you. You can turn off.